You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome in Chiefs Kingdom. Another week, another edition of the Out of Structure podcast here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We're on our seventh consecutive victory Monday at this point. As crazy as that is, from 3-4 and four to 10-4, and four, the Chiefs are now all of a sudden the number one seed in the AFC. If you're listening to this on Monday or Tuesday, you obviously know that because of the events that happened over the weekend. So we're here to talk about all the greatness that happens when with this weekend with the Chiefs. You know, it was a great weekend if you're a Chiefs fan. And I'm Ron Cop Jr. You can follow me on Twitter at Ron underscore Cop. And with me today is Brian Stewart in for Matt Stagner. Matt, you know, he's... He's a he's a he's an adult, you know. I'm not as much of an adult as Stags, and he's he's buying houses and busy with actual human, you know, uh, uh, grown up stuff to do. So uh, Brian is filling in for me, or filling in for Stags, and uh, you know, we we're gonna talk about some fun stuff today because our Chiefs are ten and four. Brian, how are you today, my friend? We are doing great, Ron. And as you said, it's a, a, a excellent end to our weekend because we have. We just got to watch our Indianapolis Colts and our <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers come up with some huge victories and uh, and like you said, put the Chiefs in this position that a month ago, even honestly a few weeks ago, didn't really seem uh, possible. Sitting in the driver's seat, in the uh, all alone, really in control of their own destiny when it comes to getting the buy in the AFC. Um, we we talked about that. Uh, amongst the AP guys in the past and, and when they were three and four, like you said, and it's just kind of surreal. So uh, couldn't be better right now. Couldn't be better to be a, a part of Chiefs Kingdom. And I think I speak for everybody when I say that. Yeah, it's a good feeling on this Monday right now. You know, it, it was a long weekend after a Chiefs win. You know, I kind of had to refresh yourself because we're recording this on Sunday night after all the the mumbo jumbo that happened this this week in the AFC, and you know you kind of have to reset yourself and 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 remember this game, you know this this great game we had, but uh, yeah, the the Chiefs are the one seed right now. Uh, pa- Patriots and Titans both lose. We should we should kind of I guess you, you guys probably know, but the Patriots lost to the Colts on Saturday night. Titans lost to the Steelers on Sunday. Steelers came back from down thirteen three. Um, great on great on the Steelers, and they're our next opponent, so they kind of helped us out, and and now we get to get to see them and thank them in person, I guess. Um, but yeah, so what about this game, man? I mean, th- this, we gotta, we gotta, like I said, reset ourselves and realize that we just witnessed on Thursday night, one of the best games in the Mahomes era, maybe even in the Andy Reed era in terms of a regular season game, just the drama that ensued the back and forth nature of it, the roller coaster, you know, chiefs get out to a hot start and the chargers look like they're going to pull away and dominate the game. You know, when Mahomes is, is not looking like himself. And then he looks like his like anything but not himself. He looks like his vintage self at the end of the game and, and pulls through. One of the best games of the entire, you know, Mahomes era, Andy Reid era, like I said. 
Um, Brian, you were watching it. You know, we did the Insta breakdown together. You got the defense. I did the offense. Uh, if you're curious, our thoughts, go check that out on airhoodpride.com. But just watching that game, like how crazy was it? It was a late night for us as, as you know, writers. But how crazy was it watching that game? One of the best in the, you know, in a while. Well, that's the good and the bad part about it is it seems like most of the time when the Chiefs have these regular season games that are classics, they are primetime games where when you're done, you should be getting ready to go to bed, but instead blood pressure's high, your energy's high, um, especially if they win. And I know I'm speaking for myself here, but it was, it was hard to go to sleep after that game. It was definitely one of the um, three or five best, you know, regular season games since Andy Reid got here. And that's really, you know, I can remember like all those games pretty well. Um, and I think as we look back, especially at the end of the season, it'll be a little more easier uh, to di- to digest it and, and see it for what it is. Because like you said, with Herbert and Mahomes, especially there's that storyline and, and it really being for the division. Uh, it just had so many qualities to it that um, made it something that I don't think any Chiefs fan is going to forget casual or diehard like a lot of us. Yeah, man. No, it was the AFC West title game. I mean, we called it. I, I was calling it that going into the game. It obviously has turned out to be that way. When you think about the Chiefs are pretty much, you know, a, 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 they're, they're pretty much going to win the division. I mean, it's, it's pretty much wrapped up if they take care of business. But then you also think about how if the Chargers would have won, the Chiefs were in a really bad spot in terms of winning the division. They, they really the Chargers have a really easy schedule from here on out. So it was a really important game. And that's how we go into our first game takeaways we each have a couple initial takeaways from the game my first takeaway is is Andy Reid and this Chiefs team how much they own this division how much they just completely are just the 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 big brother you know every team in this division is a little brother you know the Chargers are coming up and and they are a good team don't get me wrong but this is exactly why you know Andy Reid is, is how good of a coach he is and I've been calling it for a few weeks man you saw Andy Reid saved up his game plan, his best game plan for this game. The, the Raiders and Broncos games, I mean, you really didn't see a lot of creativity from the offense. You know, a lot of just, you know, I, I, I just, it was just really the basic playbook. That was not the case coming into this game and in the, on the opening script, especially just all the different ways they were able to get Tyreek and Travis the ball early, at least, you know, specifically Tyreek, I should say some of the screen pass, you know, a Michael Burton screen pass, well-designed, really well-designed and just, and just perfectly executed. Um, just some of the other stuff Andy Reid did, uh, you know, there was a way we got Clyde the ball, you know, on that second drive, uh, you know, it was an angle route from a receiver position. We haven't seen that. Like that is Andy bringing up his, his best stuff for this game. And that's exactly why he's the goat coach. And, and, and he, he outcoached Brandon Staley. I know Staley had a chance to win this game. You know, his offense had chances and we'll talk about that a little more, but man, he Staley just, was not able to stop the the offense when he needed to in 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 the fourth quarter and overtime when they needed to stop Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes uh, you know was were able to do it and and so yeah I just I I just can't it, it's crazy how the Chiefs haven't lost a road divisional game since 2017 and that one was the only loss the road divisional loss they've had since the beginning of the 20 or since the middle of the 2014 season so that's one divisional loss in that long it's just ridiculous how much this team's owned the AFC West, Brian. How crazy is it? You hit on all the main points, but one thing that I think about is there are aspects to this that 
we'll never know being people that aren't inside those those walls inside the building. Um, but clearly, Andy Reid, uh, his coach and staff, they have some sort of formula really down to a T where they know how to attack these teams in the division. They know how to um, expose their, their greatest weaknesses. And and I say that, and, and they have lost some division games in the last couple of years. But you have to consider these teams have been building their rosters specifically to beat the Chiefs. Their general managers have been, you know, adding players to the draft and free agency to beat the Chiefs. And still the payoff really hasn't been seen. They thought it was coming this year. Uh, with the Chiefs sitting at three and four and, and losing to the Chargers early in the year. But it, it's not. And here, here we are again pointing out these stats about how, how good they've been on the road and clearly you know, sitting in a position where they almost can't blow the division this year. So it'll be six, six straight years as division champions, uh, barring a massive collapse. And there's not much more you can say when it comes to how dominant that is. Yeah, no, you you hit the nail on the head, man. These teams are, any team in the AFC, honestly, not just a division, are trying to beat the Chiefs specifically. You see a team like the Bills. They are building their their team to beat the Chiefs, and it's actually cost them a few times against teams that aren't built like the Chiefs because they're so, you know, wanting to, you know, build to beat the Chiefs. But the other part of this coaching mismatch, I mentioned Staley. Man, I he, he outthought himself, in my opinion, he blitzed Patrick Mahomes on 38% of Mahomes' dropbacks, 19 dropbacks. That was the by far the, the largest rate of, of blitz dropbacks Mahomes has faced this year. Well, guess what Mahomes did on those dropbacks? 13 and 19 passing, 9.5 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no sacks, and 112 passer rating. It's just it's just mind-blowing that you would blitz Patrick Mahomes that much. We've seen what happens when, when teams blitz him. If he's such a smart defensive coach, I think that's that's an indictment on him, and that leads us to our second point, Brian, is that Mahomes did take advantage of that blitz, right? And he did, you know, come up big because they were blitzing down the stretch more than I feel like earlier in the game. He came up big, a vintage Patrick Mahomes performance. That's your first takeaway. Tell us about the big day from Mahomes. Well, Mahomes kept firing, and I love saying that because that's what he, um, when we watch back a couple years ago, those playoff games when they would be down and trying to make comebacks and the saying that him and, and Andy Reid would, uh, you know, exchange is, Hey, keep firing, keep firing. You know, they're already counting us out of this game. You just got to keep playing because what they think doesn't matter at this point. And I, I feel like earlier in the season and in the last couple of months, mistakes would happen. And it almost seemed like, he became uh, a little less aggressive, a little more focused on not making those mistakes again. Um, I kind of liken it to almost look like he would be aiming the ball sometimes uh, where he was trying to throw it. But Thursday night, it it wasn't like that at all. And that's why I tweeted out uh, after the game that reminded me the way that I felt watching it was the closest thing to Super Bowl 54 against the 49ers. Uh, since that game happened because he threw the interception that got tipped up and caught. And of course, you know, the Chargers defense, they made the mistake of going down the field and celebrating early. And you kind of felt like, oh, this is, this just doesn't look good. I mean, the offense had them look good all night and, and they were about to go in and score another touchdown. The Chargers were, but then he got the ball back and 
he was playing very like it he he was playing loose he he looked like he wasn't worried about okay if i throw another set interception so what you know i've already i've already made a couple mistakes um what's the big deal and so he was just letting it rip he was taking advantage of those opportunities that the blitz provided um and sometimes it was even just like you know i'm i'm reviewing lucas niang and the offensive line and how they per- pass protected uh right now and you, you know, Joey Bosa, sometimes he would get quick pressure off that right side and they kind of forced Mahomes to, you know, work a little bit of magic and 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 run out of the pocket and make plays downfield. So um, it, it was just exciting in that way. Like some things you just can't explain. You got to feel them. And as I was watching that game, that that was a feeling watching him and, and Mahomes and Tyreek and making the plays that we're used to seeing them make. It was just kind of different than what we have been getting maybe uh, on a consistent basis in 2021. Yeah, no, I actually wrote about it. I wrote about Mahomes' day and his words and everything. And, and one thing that I, I I noted in the article that I found interesting was just that I feel like this game was kind of a microcosm for this season in terms of, you know, the, they start off hot. You know, this season, hey, the, the offense did start out hot, right? I mean, the offense was good at the beginning of the year. The defense wasn't. So whether they were winning or not, the offense was good. That happened in this game. The offense started off hot, 10 points to start the game. Then in that middle stretch, you know, between maybe the second and, you know, the second and third quarter, basically, you know, Chiefs don't look very good at either side of the ball. Honestly, the defense makes some stops, but hey, it wasn't all them. And and we will talk about that a little later, but Chargers kind of helped them out a little bit on some of those, uh, you know, those stops in the red zone. But then at the end, all of a sudden they're heating up. You're seeing that now the Chiefs are heating up this season, you know, down the stretch. Well, that's what happened in that fourth quarter, right? Mahomes all of a sudden caught fire. You could just, like you're saying, you could just see him playing more comfortably. You know, I feel like he just he just loves to play in those situations. And yeah, he he's not perfect in them. We've seen him throw game-ending interceptions. We actually, against the same team in week three, saw him throw an egregious interception to basically, you know, uh, put that game away for the Chargers. But all that to say is, is yeah, he came, he came out in that fourth quarter he he found his guys. We saw how many yards Travis and Tyreek, uh, you know, put up in that overtime fourth quarter period. Mahomes came out, did his thing, and I just love to see that emotion after the game too. Uh, I'm sure we all saw on Twitter, um, you know, a Chargers fan was actually complaining about a you know a little bit or kind of uh, giving Mahomes trouble for showing so much emotion after the win, kind of saying you know he, he's overreacting a little bit or you know I don't listen to that. That's obviously just a bad take, but. Just I, I just love to see it. I I want my quarterback to be like that. Justin Herbert is kind of a soft-spoken guy a little bit. I want my quarterback to be like Patrick Mahomes, man. I want him to be fired up all the time. And Mahomes always is. That's the best part about him. Yeah, uh, I saw that too. And my first thought when I did see it was, look, do you guys realize that Philip Rivers was your quarterback for 15 <laughs> years and like he was oh, known for talking trash and, and all those things? No, uh, but it, it's cool. And you got to understand these guys put so much work into this. Yeah, this is their livelihood. It, when they make those big plays like that and, and they know what it meant, they know that it was for the chance to win the division. It was for maybe in the Chiefs case, more likely the first round by like this stuff changes their lives. It changes, um, you know, it could be a big implication for contract status, all sorts of things. And so like, yeah, you got to let that show just like Andy Reid says, let their personality show. Um, I don't really have any problem with it. And 
you know, for those Chargers fans out there saying, well, hey, we, we want to see you again. You know, they're upset about that. Well, um, I'm, I'm not so sure about that either. Uh, I, I understand that it was a close game, but I think we're going to talk about here in a second one of our other major points, one of your major points, Ron, and that is uh, there were some guys missing for the Chiefs that could have made this uh, an entirely different outlook uh, for the game in general. So I, I don't know. They should be careful what they wish for, I guess, is what I would say about that. A professional transition from our guy, Brian, to, yeah, the fact that the Chiefs were missing three of their best players on defense. Honestly, I, I was, I mean, I know Nick Bolton's had a great year. I do think Willie Gay at this point is just maybe a little bit better overall and just more impactful in every phase of the game, even though, and, and no spoilers, we'll talk about Bolton, obviously. So, But all that to say, man, the Chiefs were missing Jarius Sneed, which shout out, hope he's feeling better, hope he's, you know, he's doing better, you know, obviously a tragic situation. Missing LeJarrius Sneed in the secondary, which is debatably their best player in the secondary. I know Tyra Matthews still exists, people, but, I mean, you can't argue with what Sneed's been doing lately. Uh, Willie Gay, at your linebacker position, that's, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm saying it's your best linebacker. I still think he's, he's right now probably a more impactful player than Nick Bolton, even though they're both very good, which is exciting. And then Chris Jones on your line, which is the biggest one, right? I mean, all of a sudden, the pass rush isn't effective. Herbert's not really getting getting pressured. No sacks this game. You didn't see a single sack. Even when Frank Clark and Melvin Ingram were kind of forcing some pressure, maybe, you know, winning the edge, there's just no interior pressure. There was no interior pressure this game. Turk Wharton, I will say, had a couple snaps where I, I did like what I saw, so I, I shouldn't say none. Turk Wharton was actually the one that flashed the most, in my opinion. I, Reed did not, you know, do as much as he – he probably, you know, should have in this game. This was a big moment for Reed, but all that to say, when you don't have Chris Jones, this defense is so much more vulnerable, and we saw that. I mean, this, they 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 did almost give up a, a lot of points if they didn't get those those red zone stops. So, Chris Jones is, is supremely important, and it just shows you how much this defense, you know, kind of falls off, how much that pass rush falls off from just his presence not being there, you know. Clark and Ingram are still great players. They're still playing really well, but this defense right now benefits so much from Chris Jones's presence that you see why, you know, when, when he's not there, how, how, you know, how Herbert had all day pretty much. But then you also got to give credit to the rest of the defense. They, they played really well, but how, how, how big is, if an impact is Chris Jones, Brian? I mean, is, is it, you know, did the defense survive him and should we compliment them a little bit more? Or is it, did they just kind of hold on by the skin of their teeth a little bit? Cause it, I feel like it's kind of the latter in, in that, in that sense. Yeah. Considering that they were missing the three guys we talked about there that you mentioned with Snead, Jones and gay, I, I would venture towards giving them credit for overcoming that. Cause that is yeah. a lot, but in the case of Jones specifically, you know, he, he's clearly the biggest loss of, of the bunch and maybe, you know, it's arguable, but for my money, you know, he's the most impactful defensive player the Chiefs have right now. When when he's going and he is playing inside, you know, between the guards, it allows the Chiefs to really cave the pocket in from all angles. And Thursday night, there might have been some snaps where, okay, you know, they've got pressure off the edges, but Herbert's able to step up, which is what he likes to do. And he's able to survey the field and and find his mismatch wherever it is. Um, or maybe there was a situation, like you mentioned, where Turk Wharton got some quick pressure up the middle, but he was able to escape quick outside for whatever reason. That that could have still happened, obviously. But when he's out there, 
you have so many different individuals on the defensive line who can win when they all win on the same play, it becomes disastrous, but he's just one of those guys that uh, he wrecks plays and you can have everything dialed up right as an offense. You can have, you know, the defense lined up the way you wanted them to be lined up, but he could just single-handedly wreck the play uh, just with how disruptive he is. So it's going to be great to get him back. Going to be great to get, you know, Gay back with his speed and at the second level, uh, Sneed, like you mentioned. When all these guys are here, which is a, a vulnerable thing because injuries do happen and we only can hope for the best, but when they're all there, the defense is legit and it's and it's going to be a problem for anybody because they have guys who can do every type of role that you really need to be uh, a really, really good defense. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this defense is proven already. They don't need to really prove anything more, in my opinion, when they're all healthy. I don't think anyone's looking at this game and being like, oh, well, the Chiefs defense obviously was fraudulent all this whole stretch. Obviously, because of these, you know, these absences, I think people are giving them an excuse. And and so, but the thing with missing Chris Jones is even, even though I give him a little crap for, you know, his run defense, I don't think he's the best run defender because I think he takes too many chances you know, to, to get after the quarterback, obviously, and kind of leaves run lanes open at times, which is part of it. You know, hey, be a playmaker. I love that. You know, and, and he's going to make those plays half the time. But all that to say, you kind of, you know, think those kind of things about Chris Jones sometimes. Um, but then you realize, like, when he's not in there, I mean, you saw it. They were just getting gashed up the middle all game. And it's and I think a lot of that is just the fact that Chris Jones just isn't in the middle. He's just not a presence there. I mean, he's just such a big body. Like, he's going to get in the way of something, right? I mean, the, the thing is, the other thing, too, is, like, guards and centers do not, like, they get so exhausted blocking Chris Jones just because of how powerful and strong he is and just how explosive he is, how much effort they have to put into blocking him. They get worn out trying to block him. I don't think that same effect happens when you're trying to block Jaron Reed and Derek Naughty for half the time. No, no, you know, no fault of their own. It's just they're not as crazy as a player as Chris Jones. He's debatably the defensive player of the year if you cut it off from like week eight on, you know. Um, so it, it's it, it's definitely a big miss, but one miss they 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 didn't have a guy that did play and was is definitely the defensive player of the game. I don't think there's any question. Is linebacker Nick Bolton the rookie? Another great game. We've seen some great games from him, but you know it's it's hard to say there's there's some better than this. Maybe the Tennessee game, which I actually kind of resorted to at first. I said you know that Tennessee game's still better. But the way he played against the Chargers still might be the best game of his career so far. Brian, what about Nick Bolton impressed you from Thursday night? I, I picked him as the defensive player of the game in our Insta breakdown. Those who, those who read it know that, and, and those who maybe haven't yet can check it out, of course. But well, for first thing, and we're going to talk about it more later, but he played almost every single snap, which is not normal. For, for really any linebacker in Steve Spagnuolo's defense since coming to Kansas City. That's not even close to normal, um, playing 99% of the snaps. So that's impressive. That tells me that he's in, that he can handle that, which in itself is is, is a great thing and a great takeaway. But he's a difference maker. Um, would I prefer to see him out there with Willie Gay? Absolutely. That's the future of the Chiefs in terms of their linebacker position. Uh, I, I think the way that their skill sets mesh is perfect because 
gay is like the speed and the 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 lightning kind of aspect where he can cover ground and make those just freak plays that you shouldn't be able to make at that size but then bolton is at the same time a great athlete well great athlete relative to you know the normal human being maybe not like nfl players but um but he's got the the mental aspect and he's the guy who can call the plays they already trust him to wear the helmet with the green dot as they say where he's getting the play calls so he's obviously able to line guys up and position other players to do their job as well Um, so i'm excited to see that group in the future uh, and how his football iq and his instincts which we saw thursday they really just enable him to be in the right spots um with his numbers, he put up 14 total tackles, three pass deflections, and we talked about it. Those three pass deflections were all really, really critical to the outcome of the game. One of them um, led to the interception by Anthony Hitchens. You know, that interception doesn't happen if it's not for Nick Bolton being in the right spot and getting his hands up at the right time. One of them down on the goal line, dislodging that that slant that went to Mike Williams. Uh, that was a huge play, arguably prevented a touchdown. And then um, later in the game, he had another huge uh, pass breakup on the fourth down and two, uh, a stick route by Jared Cook. And that was just great anticipation. And he timed it so well. He didn't, you know, it wasn't like almost a penalty or anything like that. It was just textbook coverage. So even those things that people were worried about with Nick Bolton in terms of his ability to cover, we're starting to see him get better and better and, and understand what offenses are trying to do. And again, that puts him in great spots. And I don't know, man, I'm just pumped up to to see what those linebackers are going to be like the rest of the year and, and into the future. Cause it's pretty special. The upside. Isn't it, man? No, it really is. I mean, Bolton and gay are both showing a lot to be excited about in the future. Um, yeah, listeners definitely expect a f- review article about Nick Bolton from our guy Talon. Uh, we'll be on the AP film film room, uh, you know, this week, so we'll probably be talking about that. I would assume, you know, if we're talking about defense. But now we're gonna move on to some quicker points we got for you guys from the game, and and the first one is is is, is pretty quick, right? Because there's not much that needs to be said other than how dominant Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are as a receiving duo. I mean, just ridiculous. I got some stats here, so. On the, on the Chiefs' final three scoring drives, they totaled 225 yards gained. The team did. Not only was each touchdown scored by either the two, you know, Hill or Kelsey, but the duo accounted for 187 of those 225 yards, including all 75 of the game-winning possession in overtime. Hill and Kelsey were the only ones who gained yards on the, on the overtime possession. I just They just dominated that game down the stretch. They accounted for 83% of Mahomes' passing yards, and, and, and their total stat line together was 22 receptions, 339 receiving yards, and three touchdowns as a duo. I mean, just insane numbers. Uh, Kelsey, a lot of his production came really late in the game. I think some people were, were maybe blaming the fact that Derwin James had to go out with injury. Uh, he did play earlier in the game than had to go out, and, and maybe that's why Kelsey had a bigger game. Um, I don't buy into that. I think the Chiefs just weren't really getting into a rhythm until they needed to. And then when they needed to, they did. And you saw what happened. Um, what did you think about their day? And, and was is there something to the fact that, that Durham James just wasn't playing later in the game and that's why Kelsey went off? 
I'd say that's probably a little bit uh, played up. You know, I, I don't think it was that big of a deal, especially with the types of defenses the Chargers generally favored early in the game. It wasn't like they were having Derwin James just follow Travis Kelsey everywhere and and shadow him and, and cover him one-on-one. That's not really what was going on. So um, I don't really totally buy that narrative. He would have helped uh, somewhat, I guess, but it's the same player who – entered the game with a hamstring injury and left the game with a hamstring injury. So it's not even like he was his normal self probably in the first place. So I think that's just kind of a more of an excuse than anything for the chiefs ultimately going back to the well that they, you know, the, the greatness that we're used to seeing with the trio that is Mahomes and and Hill and Kelsey. Um, there's really nothing like it. I think, you know, Mark Gunnels, one of our guys uh, with Arrowhead Pride, he tweeted out, like, this is the most special, most physically talented trio of NFL players or offensive playmakers that we've ever seen. And I think he's absolutely right. Like, you got to think Mahomes' arm talent is maybe second to none. Tyreek Hill's speed and quickness, the most special I've ever seen uh, on the football field. And then Kelsey as a tight end is is the best athlete I think I've ever seen in the way that he runs routes and the little subtle things and the way that he catches the ball and goes the other direction that they're not the defense doesn't expect him to go like I've never seen anybody do stuff like that and uh, I I gotta shout him out too because he was running away from defensive backs Thursday night and it was like where, are we back in 2014 I di- I didn't know he had that in him still but he's done it a few times this year. And so it's good to see that because I know as he gets you know older, he's 32 now and uh, you think, well, he's, he's got to be slowing down, but man, you, you see plays like that. And I, I don't know, maybe he's not slowing down that much. And so, the, so it was just great to see the, those guys doing what they do best and taking over a ball game, winning the division ultimately, uh, I think is what we expect to come of it. Yeah, no, Kelsey, you're right. How crazy is it that in, in, his age 32 year where, yeah, I do think there's signs. I think a lot of the physical coverage has been the main reason he's maybe, you know, not looked as dominant at times just because people are beating him the hell up, uh, the heck up. And, and he's just, there's not much he can do about it right now. Um, but the fact that two, maybe two of his best plays of his entire career, when you think about this last game, the, the game winning touchdown, I'd say, I mean, just the fact, just the fact that he was able to cut off all those angles, those those pursuit angles, and just not even get touched until he was at the goal line when all those guys were around him, still nuts to me. But also that Ravens game, remember, where he just took it 40 yards. And, I mean, those are two of the best plays of his entire career, and they're happening in this season, not any season before when he was a little fresher and maybe, you know, a little uh, you know quicker and faster. Just kind of shows you how great of a playmaker he is. It's not just about his athleticism. It's about his awareness. You know, it's about his just his ball carrying ability. He's just such a good football player. So shout out Travis Kelsey. He was my offensive player of the game because obviously he had a great game, won the game for the Chiefs. But we're going to talk about something that wasn't as great for the Chiefs. And, and that was the run game, man. What the heck happened there? Uh, the Chargers had one of the worst run defenses in the entire NFL going into the game. Everyone knows it. It wasn't any secret. And yet the Chiefs were not able to run the ball very well outside of the first drive. There was a few runs that looked really good. You know, I actually DM Stags, and you know, after that first drive, I think maybe it was the second drive. And I said, Oh man, I'm liking how Clyde's looking. 
And maybe I just jinxed him. I don't know. Cause ever since that DM, he did not do much of anything at all for the rest of the game. Actually him and Daryl combined for 14 carries for 44 yards. And so I'm going to actually throw it back to you with a question from one of our listeners, Matrick Mahomes, the second on Twitter. He always asks good questions. So shout out him. Are you concerned with how the run game performed against the worst run defense in the NFL? Which, yeah, they pretty much were. What did you guys see in the run game? So basically what, what, what's going on, Brian? I mean, is, is it just it was it the offensive line? Was it Clyde or was it a little bit of both? Was it just the unwillingness to run the ball? I, I don't I honestly don't really have an answer for that. Um, I, and I'm hoping you do, Brian. What did you see from the run game? It's complicated because I don't think my feelings on the run game for the Chiefs changed all that much based on Thursday. Uh, my, my interpretation before the game, I, I did expect more. And as the game was going on, I was saying, hey, I, I feel like we're not trying it enough. Um, because it was, as you mentioned, it was going pretty good early on. Daryl and Clyde both had a couple of, of solid carries. As the second half wore on, it seemed like we were getting really predictable and in terms of just constantly dropping back and mixing in the play-action pass, but it was almost all passing. And um, But no, my feelings on it haven't changed that much because I'm just afraid that they're going to be limited all year. It's just the nature of the running back room. I mean, that is no slight to the guys that we have. You know, Clyde and Daryl and um, Gore even, they all bring like their own flavor and they do certain things really, really well. Um, we'll talk about more of that later, especially with Daryl. But none of those guys are just – they're not Jonathan Taylor. They're not um, – and that's kind of a sore subject. They're not one of these running backs who are going to just punish defenses for staying in those two high safety looks because for one reason or another, whether it be there's lack of speed or their lack of um, strength, they can't break – multiple tackles or, or make multiple defenders miss or outrun safeties who, who take, you know, not as so good angles down the field. Um, I think that's the biggest reason why it, it is the running back room. Yeah, I haven't got to look at all the run blocking yet. I'm sure that wasn't perfect either. Chargers, they have some guys on their defensive line who are really disruptive um, and can kind of do things that mess up you know, your plays, even though statistically they've been really poor, but yeah, that's my take on it. I think it, I put more blame on the running back room than anything when it comes to the run game. Yeah. I'm starting to lean with you on that. Actually. Um, it is starting to feel like the running backs just aren't able to take advantage of, of, you know, the, you know, cause not every hole is going to be perfect. You need a running back. That's going to be able to make more out of what's there. There's only so much the line can do. And even even when they pop open a wide open hole, it does seem like sometimes they're still they're, the running backs still aren't getting as many yards as they could. Um, and and you're right, that's just you know it's no slight to them necessarily, but I might, that might be why Andy just doesn't really want to rely it on either. Like I've been calling on this podcast, I've wanted to see more of an emphasis on running those power gap schemes, those counter schemes, but maybe they just don't feel like it's worth it because they don't have the running backs to take advantage of it anyway. So. And if that's the case, then that's smart on Andy because there's no sense in running the ball into a brick wall, uh, you know, not getting much out of it if, if, if you can't, you know. Just you, you have Mahomes throw the ball more if, if that's the case, if you really don't trust your running game. But all right, let's get to a break here. Let's get our sponsors some time to, to say what they want to say, and we'll be right back here on the Out of Structure podcast. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Out of Structure podcast on a Victory Monday. Uh, make sure you're ready to listen to the rest of our podcasts we got on the network. Uh, we'll have the editor show coming out on Tuesday. Great British Chiefs show sometime middle of the week. And then we always got the, you know, with Serta and BK and Ron, the show, Hughley at the end of the week, one of my favorites. Um, but now we're back here on the Out of Structure podcast, and we got some snap count takeaways for you. Um, just you know, just some stuff we noticed from the numbers that come out after the game on who played how many. You mentioned Bolton with the 99% of the snaps, Brian, earlier. But I want to start on the offensive side. I do think it's interesting that Demarcus Robinson is is once again the wide receiver two by snaps. Pringle was barely behind him, but still, that's that's you know, D. Rob had more snaps than Pringle, and Harden was wide receiver four uh, by a good amount. He was he was below them by a good uh, 15 snaps. And the thing with McColl, man. Is is he was a little he was pretty dang unlucky in this game, um you know Mahomes in his in his game where he didn't have a very good game it felt like McColl was at the 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 bad end of that a lot of the time, uh, early in the game on that first drive actually, Kel- Mahomes kind of focused in on Kelsey on a red zone on a red zone play, and McCole Hartman was wide open in the end zone splitting the cover two safeties uh you know both safeties spread out nice and wide. For McColl to be wide open between them, Mahomes never saw him. And then also we all we all saw the fourth and goal. You know the ball seemed there was something about the snap being a little late in my opinion. The motion, the snap, it was just all a little off. And that might have been Mahomes' fault. That also could have been McColl's fault to some extent. We've always seen this just little miscommunication or just like the not on the same page between those two, Mahomes and McColl. And it might have been another one of those situations. Either way, the ball should have been thrown well and into McColl's hands because even if the snap's late, that should have been a touchdown. But I think the rushing of it, you know, really forced that bad throw. So all that to say, I feel like McColl is is slipping in his role. And even when he's even when he isn't playing as much, he's still it still seems like he's 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 just not getting the uh, you know, he's not getting really lucky, I guess. He's not, you know, he's he's open a few plays and, and the ball's not getting to him. So it's just a little weird with McColl right now, but uh, Brian, I'll let you, you know, if you have any takes on the, the wide receiver snap counts, just in terms of like who you want at wide receiver, like who do you want to see at wide receiver? I know we didn't have Josh Gordon, but who who are we wanting at wide receiver besides Tyreek Hill right now? I've kind of given, I've almost lost all faith that there's going to be like this true number two guy who can step into the, the yeah. role that the healthy semi, you know, because all these guys, it was McColl at the beginning of the year. They were giving him every opportunity to, to be the dude. And then it kind of became uh, D-Rob to an extent in that same 
area of the season early in the year, it was him and McColl. But um, then it became Byron. And I'm not giving up on Byron by any means. I think if anybody can do it, it's probably him. But, you know, these last few weeks, he was kind of getting more love and, and they were kind of promoting him in the in the public guy a little bit. And those were little things that I noticed. Um, but he had some issues from time to time, some drops, um, just does enough, but not necessarily a, a true wide receiver too. And then with Gordon, I don't know that we're going to get that either. I don't know that he's Mahomes type of receiver and that I, Patrick likes these guys who, who get open and give him a very clear, you know, uh, target where he doesn't, I, I don't feel like he likes to force the ball into those tight windows, which is totally understandable. That's probably why um, throughout his career, he has not turned the ball over that much, but, and in that same vein, McColl is a guy who does create some separation with his speed um, with certain kinds of routes, but when the ball's in the air, he's done very little to, you know, confirm that he can handle that and, and can receive trust. So I think, uh, as unfortunate as it is for the team, it's just kind of capped. His potential has been capped, and I don't know that my expectations are super high moving forward. But I hope I hope it gets better, and I hope that he's able to make big plays for him here um, as the season winds down. Yeah, even as I mentioned the plays that Mahomes missed him, or you know he could have made a plays, it still weren't him like you know running a beautiful route, or you know the first play as I mentioned he split the cover two safeties. He just runs a seam route and and gets to the middle of the field, just stands there. I mean, it's not like this, you know, he breaks off some dude or anything. And then obviously that jet sweep where Mahomes miss or the jet sweep motion that turns into a pass that Mahomes misses him. I mean, you know, he just stands there. It's not like he so he's still this gadget player. It's not like this game. It's not like those moments made him look any better. Honestly, it still just seems like he's just a gadget player that's going to get designed to get open. And that's fine. It's just obviously not enough for a second round pick, but we're getting we're getting past that as Chiefs fans. We're starting to cope with that. Um, so rest of snap count takeaways, we'll touch on a few uh, in a little bit, but just quick ones. It seems like Clyde is starting to you know widen that gap between him him and Daryl in terms of who's getting the lion's share of the touches. They're not really splitting as much anymore. Clyde got seventy one percent of the snaps, which is the most he's had I I, I believe since he's come back from the injury. Noah Gray is beginning to outsnap outsnap Blake Bell, which I actually am encouraged to see because I do think if they can get you know a, a weapon like Gray where they can trust him to block, but he can also develop as a receiver because we know he has that upside. I think that's really cool. I, I I think that's that's something that's that's really important. Jaron Reed, how about on the defensive side? He leads the entire defensive line in snaps by six, so he he played the most out of any defensive lineman. So you got to give him a little credit there. You know, first-year player, you know, stepping up in the in Chris Jones' absence. Obviously, it wasn't the best performance for the defensive line, but you know, at least he stepped up and and played a lot. But then also, we'll we'll and we'll stop here and talk about the secondary. But first of all, we're seeing Rashad Fenton play the slot this game, which I really liked. I, I I'm glad they did that because it allows Matthew to stay at safety, and Fenton is is a good corner. I know I like him more to outside at this point, but you know, at least he's on the field. But it's it, they trusted Mike Hughes to play that outside cornerback position opposite Traverius Ward the entire game and then only leave Fenton for those slot responsibilities, which obviously isn't every single play. So all that to say, they pretty much trusted Mike Hughes over Rashad Fenton. Brian, is, is that the right move? What do you think about that decision? 
That's what we'll have to be monitoring uh, in the weeks ahead to see, okay, when Snead comes back, does that mean Snead goes back to the slot? Of course, yes. But then does Fenton coming back from that knee injury, whatever that was, because um, we didn't get a lot of details about it, but he's obviously healthy now. Does he get that that role that he had as the outside corner opposite of Jervis Ward? Because even though Mike Hughes has done an admirable job in these last couple of weeks, and uh, he did give up a touchdown on Thursday night, but he, he's done a better job than he did early in the season. I think he is convinced he largely has convinced us that he is capable of being the fourth cornerback or uh, on this roster. Fenton was still playing so freaking good before he hurt that knee against the Cowboys. So I I just want to see him go back into that role um, because these next few games, these last few regular season games, that's the time to ramp it back up, get those legs underneath him for, you know, a full game's worth of snap count. So that way when the playoffs come, he's ready to to do the things that we were seeing him do throughout November and, and really balling out with the rest of those guys in the secondary. Yeah. I, I think Fenton needs to go back to, I agree with you. I, Hughes is, is great depth. I think I, I'm, I will say the word great because he is a playmaker. I think he's shown that. I think his punt return ability kind of points to that too, but he is just a playmaker in terms of, Hey, if, if a guy is not going to be maybe the greatest cover guy, which I would say Hughes maybe isn't, he's had his stretches obviously. And he actually is playing well since, He's had to step in for the Snead and Fenton both kind of missing time. But um, just in general, if you're not going to be that great, a uh, consistent of a coverage player, you might as well be a playmaker that's going to go get the ball every once in a while. And and those two forced fumbles against the Raiders show you that he's able to do that. Um, you know, two forced fumbles and the fumble recovery. So, you know, that, that kind of shows you that he can be around the ball. And he also actually had some good coverage reps against the Chargers. So I'm not trying to say that Mike Hughes isn't, I, I just I, I do like Fenton's ability maybe over Hughes's, but another thing in the secondary I noticed in this game, Brian, which I thought was interesting, was actually they came out in the first possession, and maybe it was just situational because they actually started the first possession like in the red zone. So maybe maybe uh, Spags just wanted Sorensen in the red zone at first, but uh, Sorensen actually started over Thornhill in this game. Now I think at some point. And, and like I said, maybe this is situational, so maybe Thornhill was playing the rest of the game. I honestly I I didn't check close enough to know exactly when the switch happened or how much they were, you know, what situations they were playing. But Sorensen was playing more, I should say. And he did have a few good plays. You actually pointed it out on Twitter. Um, you 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 tweeted it out about Sorensen, uh, you know, the 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 two plays he made back to back, one being on a third down, came up and made a great run tackle to, to make it a fourth down. And then he's the one who tips the pass away to end the half. So Sorensen steps up in this game, makes a couple big plays but I don't want him to be playing over Thornhill. I, I still don't think that should be happening. And it just seems like maybe there's still situations where Spags trust Sorensen more. And I just think that's just not a great idea, Brian. Do you, what do you think about the fact that we're still seeing some kind of back and forth between Sorensen and Thornhill? No, I don't, I don't want to personally see it either. I, I think they were starting to really get the formula down. They are getting the formula down because Dan made some plays Thursday night and he's been doing that uh, in recent weeks. Uh, getting back into that reduced role where he's playing, you know, 50, 60, maybe 70% of the snaps. And um, I think that allows him to really focus in on that, that specific job. Um, 
oftentimes more at the like linebacker level. He, he's not playing linebacker per se, but especially given that it's usually passing situations, but it, it, it allows him to really hone in on those specific duties that they're asking him to do in the dime package. And I think that's where he's at home and just let him keep doing that. Let him keep making his seemingly one big play every week, sometimes two. And every now and then he's going to give up one as well, but it's sure a lot better than it was early in the season when they were taking so many plates off of uh, Thornhill's plate that now he is, he's obviously getting and, and Thornhill needs all the reps he can get. I think he's a really promising ascending young player who a year down the road, we might be talking about, okay, do the chiefs need to give him a pretty nice extension? You know, hopefully that's the conversation we're having a year from now. Oh yeah, man. I hope so. Uh, Thornhill, he had so much promise in his rookie year and we, you can still see it in spurts, man, but we, we, there is some consistency issues. I mean, just the fact that Spags is still maybe playing Sorensen over him at times just points to it right there, but, so we're going to get the Twitter questions and the pod. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys sending in questions. Now, I know it was a weird week. We didn't get as many because we sent it out uh, Sunday, you know, afternoon, you know, at, you know, everyone's kind of the Chiefs excitement has kind of calmed down a little bit in terms of after the game. Um, so we didn't get as many, but we're going to go through a few of them. And I'm just going to ask them to you, Brian. Um, I'll let you answer them. And I'll let you kind of be the guinea pig for th- some of these questions. And. First of all, our guy from Jake, uh, Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter, always asking good questions. We did already kind of talk about this, but let's put it to definitive and I'll answer this one too. The chiefs played discipline, high energy defense against the chargers. Should we be more impressed by their goal line resilience or their overall performance without Jones, Snead and gay basically saying, and I think we, like I said, we did talk about this a little bit, but let's, let's put it to two things. Should we be more impressed by the fact that they were able to get those goal line stops? or just the fact that they were even able to, you know, be competent enough to to stay in this game and win this game without those three guys. Well, I think they've raised the standard these in in this season. They are viewing themselves as a really good defense. They're playing with uh, a lot of confidence and so from the player perspective, I'm going to take it from from that perspective and say more impressive the resilience they showed. Um, in those key moments, did they have a little bit of help from like mis-execution by the Chargers? Absolutely. There were times where that was the case. But when when you've got five fourth down situations and each one of them was pretty much like one yard, two yard. I mean, they were particular plays where you would think, OK, the offense has the advantage here. And, and to come out on top three of those times. um that's that's big time, and that was very much so the difference in winning and losing the game. Missing those guys, um, huge deal. We need them. You know they're going to need them come playoff run. But for that particular night, just to step up, keep that standard held high, and uh, and, and come up with those stops, I think was super super impressive. And a lot of guys had a hand in making that happen too. So it wasn't like it was just one or two guys uh, making the plays either. Yeah, I agree with you and totally because the thing is their overall performance without those guys actually wasn't very good. Uh, The defense was actually run through pretty good. 
uh, you know, Herbert, they were getting into the red zone pretty easily. Uh, it was just in the red zone. They got stopped because the defense was that impressive. So shout out the defensive performance in the red zone. Got another one. This is kind of off the, the cuff, a little off topic, but you know, we, I'm, I'm curious about it. What you think uh, from ghost at ghost of horror on Twitter. Is this the year EB finally gets a head coaching job? There was a few of them out there. Jaguars, Raiders, uh, you know, maybe the giants, um, depending on what happens. Brian, is this finally the year or, or maybe is it not? What do you think? All right, Ghost. Uh, first part, I would say check check back in a few weeks because what the offense does the rest of the year, what the team does the rest of the year is going to be it's going to be a big deal. But if I had to say yes or no, I'm going to say no, unfortunately, because if it didn't happen the last two years, I just don't know why it would change. That's when the offense was at its peak and he seemed like a slam dunk hire and it still didn't happen for whatever the reasons are. So if you made me bet, no, I don't think he'd be able to get a coaching job, but I hope he does because he certainly earned it. He's clearly a, a hardworking dude. Yeah. At this point, I just want to see him as a head coach now. Right. Like I just want to like see how it goes, like what he does. Cause I do think he kind of has this, he, he's very cliche when he talks to the media and stuff. And, and maybe that still happens when he's a head coach, but I do feel like he's, he's just a really bought in dude to Andy's system in terms of Andy just kind of likes to be vanilla with the media for the most part, not give him too much in terms of like information, kind of just, you know, give him the company line a little bit. Maybe when he's the head coach, maybe that'll change. Cause he has a great personality. You can tell. Um, and so I'm, I, yeah, I just want to see that, but I I'm with you. Honestly, I, I could, the coaching cycle is a cycle. And he might have already been passed up in his part of the cycle. Dave Tobe is a good example of a guy that he was getting a lot of head coaching. Uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of rumor about him at one point. Do you hear it anymore? No, because it's a cycle. If you get passed up two or you know two or three years in a row, there's going to be another batch of guys that that, that everyone's kind of looking at now. So it is pretty interesting. I, I, is Bianami just going to be the offensive coordinator here forever until Andy retires and then he becomes the head coach here? I mean. It's starting to feel like that might just be what happens, but I feel like I feel like eventually a team will give them the reins. But we'll see, man. Um, another question here. We're gonna uh, go to the last two here, actually. And I'm curious here, Brian. We actually me and Stags answered this last week, but I want to give you a, a chance to answer it, and we can, you know, give us a chance to go down memory lane, maybe a little bit. Black Elf nineteen at Lil Boa six six two four on Twitter. Favorite former chief. So former chief. And then favorite current chief. Um, I'll let you pick where you want to go. Which is the former? Which is the current? Which uh, what, what's your favorite? So I haven't watched that many eras in terms of my lifespan. So um, right now, I'll start right now. It's easy. It's Mahomes. I think that'd be most people's answer. I know that's cheap. Sorry, but I mean, come on. Second Dude. favorite. Oh, uh, I'm gonna make you think. That is a good one. I know. There's so I'd many good probably, players. That's why it's hard, man. I mean. I, yeah. Like Hall of Fame type dudes. Um, I, I would probably say Tyreek. I just there you go. I feel like that. Yeah. I don't know. I just love his game. Right. Um, and I don't think he's nationally respected maybe enough as far as like uh, he's one of the best two or three receivers. And yeah, I don't that, That's just that's it. And I don't think everybody really involves him in that conversation all the time. Um, and then as far as former chief, it would be Jamal. 
um, because in those years when I really first started watching like hardcore every single play every single week, he was sometimes the only thing that uh, that made the games worthwhile. And uh, I remember 2012 vividly, just like especially by the end of the season, you were just watching because you're like, oh, come on, Jamal, break a break an 80 yard run. That was really all you had to look forward to possibly. So um, I wish he would have got to play with Pat. I, I do I wish he would have got to play with him. You know, it's crazy how close he actually was. Like he actually played on the 2016 Chiefs and the Mahomes draft was drafted the year the year later. Like how crazy is that? Like sometimes like you don't think about how close they actually were to, you know, at least just sharing the team together, right? Um obviously they I can't, you know, you can't imagine they would have, you know, they would have played together at that point, but last question here, Brian. Chiefs match forever always asking good questions as well. Uh, who has been the best rookie this season so far? Me and Stags answered this a couple weeks ago, but I want your take. Best rookie this season so far, because he says Veach had himself a draft, and and your confidence, Brian. I want to hear your confidence level in Veach as a drafter when you consider how good this rookie class has been. So what do you think about just the – as we get into draft season, you know, we're me and you and, and Talon are, are going to be doing a lot of draft coverage as, as the season goes. So maybe a little uh, time to maybe think a little draft as we get going. What do you think? So starting out with the best rookie for me, it is Creed Humphrey, um, our center. And he's got stiff competition. You could make the argument for Trey Smith. You could absolutely make an argument for Nick Bolton. But and that just speaks to how great the class looks. But Creed has been so consistent. Uh, If you think about like Mitch Morse, when he was a rookie, had a great season. Um, Creed has taken that like up not just one level, but three, four levels. He's truly bordering on, is he an elite center right now? I don't know. He's, he's one of the best five centers in the NFL in his first season. And we have no reason to think that that's going to get like worse. You know, he's going to be this guy for a long time, probably. So um, it would be hard for me to go with anybody else. And then as far as Veach is drafting, um, I am, very confident in it. And, and I think probably more confident than your average fan or your average chiefs follower. Uh, because here, here's my main reason. Look back at these last few draft classes. You have a mix of players from different position groups, um, from different, you know, sides of the ball who there's some guys who are good. And a lot of it maybe ties into their physical traits like Willie Gay Juan Thornhill, um, Legereus Sneed. Uh, these are guys who maybe when you drafted them, you're looking at those, you know, the physical profile and saying, okay, the they have a lot of upside and they are starting to follow through on that. But then also this season, um, and these guys were physically gifted too, but there were other red flags involved that maybe made them uh, questioned a little bit. So like with Nick Bolton, his athleticism was questioned, but if you watch his film, you know, he's a good football player and clearly Veach trusted that and he took the pick and and I think it's, you're starting to see a payoff. Humphrey, he struggled a little bit in the pre-draft process um, at the senior bowl. You know, he had some issues in, in pass protection and it caused him to slide down a little, but Veach trusted his evaluation, his scouts, it's working out. And, and of course, Trey Smith, there's a lot that goes into that with his medicals, but they, they clearly have a process where they're identifying guys 
in different ways, who have uh, separate circumstances, um, but they're still coming to the same end result, and that is drafting really good football players. And if you can come away with two or three every year like they have been, you're going to be all right. You're going to be more than all right with with Mahomes still around. It's good points. Good points. Yeah, I, I do think uh, Veach, the only thing he's kind of missing maybe, and I do know I know cornerback and Legereus Need, he, he did draft that position, uh, and that's turned into a really good player. But I feel like he still hasn't drafted an elite or in sorry, not an elite, but a, a very needed position or, or I guess I'm not saying it right. <laughs> he hasn't drafted a high value position, like a, a great player to high value position yet. We're talking about wide receiver. We're talking about edge rusher, you know, pass rusher, you know, defensive end, defensive tackle, pass rushing type. Um, obviously he was, had a handing uh, quarterback, Patrick Mahomes being drafted, but this is a big test for him this offseason Cause I do think the two positions I just mentioned, um, you know, pass rusher and wide receiver should be the top two picks in the draft. Like, I don't really care what else happens. Those two positions need to be drafted first in the draft next year. And he needs to hit on those picks. And that's going to be a, a big test for him because this team needs another playmaker wide receiver and, a, you know, an actual, you know, not just a body. We need a playmaker. And we also need a younger pass rusher. You know, the Chris Jones and Frank Clark are great right now. They're also getting older and they're very expensive. And so I, you know, Frank Clark is obviously one of the, you know, one of those guys where, you know, his future is up in the air with this team just because of that money. You know, he's playing well enough to where the team might, you know, say, hey, we'll 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 eat it as long as you keep playing like this. But all that to say, big test for for Veach coming up in this draft next year. We're going to be covering it. This is Brian Stewart. We got talent also helping us cover, but we'll be on the AP film room also this week, guys. Um, might be you know Wednesday or Tuesday, depending on our, our schedule. We'll have to figure that out. But really appreciate you guys listening. This has been the Out of Structure Podcast. I'm Ron Cop. That's Brian Stewart. Um, we we missed you, Stags. We'll see you next time. Uh, he he should be on the next show. And uh, another victory Monday, Brian. What final thoughts, and then we'll get out of here. Well, we got three more to go. Um... Chiefs are going to have to take it one week at a time, of course, but as fans, we can kind of look ahead a little bit. Um, Win these next three games, it's in their control, and we are going to once again have a bye for, I don't know, is it four straight years? Every year since my home has been the starter, so four years. um, Take care of business, and and we could find ourselves right back where the the Chiefs belong and where they need to be, uh, prepping for another Super Bowl run, hopefully. So thanks for listening. Absolutely, Brian. It is, it is a fun time to be a Chiefs fan. We'll be back every week, guys. Keep listening to the Airhead Pride Podcast Network, and we will catch you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.